Amen, amen, amen. So we're going to continue our series studying the book of Galatians today with, I think, our third message. If you have your Bibles, open it up to Galatians. We're going to finish chapter 1 today. We're going to read Galatians 1, verses 11 through 24. 11 through 24, Galatians 1. And as you're looking for it, let me just recap the tornado that happened last week. Amen. Last week, I preached about distortions, contradictions, and curses that creep into the life of Christians and destroy the gospel. And we talked about some very difficult things. I talked about common practices that are found amongst Christians in the North American church today, and we briefly discussed how anything that is a spiritual practice that isn't find it in the Bible, as we say, is dangerous. It was a hard truth, and we had several people leave our church. It's true. Um, and we love them, but we will never not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, for those of you who were here on Sunday and you still mad at me, I love you. And I'm always available to talk. We're always going to open this word and go into it together and have real deep and honest conversations. And for those who have left our church, we love them as well. And we're praying God's very best and praying that the seed that was planted will take root, will be watered, and will bring forth much fruit. Amen. Amen. I also got an incredible amount of emails and text messages of people saying, I threw away my tarot cards. I threw away my crystals. I'm not burning sage. I don't read my horoscope anymore. Amen. Got rid of my dream catchers. I don't like throwing it away, but I did get rid of my vision boards. We had some real people hear the truth moving forward in an unadulterated pursuit of Jesus and his word. And today, as is our way, after I've good and thoroughly punched you in the face last week, we're going to be uh, we're going to be encouraged today by this word from the apostle Paul. The reason that we forsake things that aren't in the gospel is so we can receive the word that is received today. Galatians chapter one, verse 11, it reads like this. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life, in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely jealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and I remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. 
Oh, that we might tattoo that on our own heart. Oh, they glorified God because of who I am. The title of our message today is Revelation Revolution. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for this word. Use it to change us. Amen. Big idea of our conversation today is this. If you're taking notes, if you have your workbook, it should be at the top of the page. And I discovered this morning in working through my own workbook, there is a typo. So last week's big idea and this week's big idea are right there together. So it's a triple big idea. It's very big. But the big idea, if you're taking notes today, is this, something I want to leave you with, is today, today, this moment right now where you are here and now, today is the day to see God brand new. And, don't miss this part, to live life like you never have before. This is going to be a conversation about aha moments and what it means to move on it. Amen? And I'm always thinking about these moments. This, this is, I don't know if you know this, but for the life of a pastor or a preacher, we can see when you have an aha moment. Did you know that? That's why pastors are always like, amen, because we're not sure half of you are awake, let alone having an aha moment. But when they happen, it makes all of this worthwhile. I love preaching in a good old-fashioned charismatic church when I'll say something and someone will be like, ah, I love that. And I'll preach it like a more quiet church and no one, but they'll do this. And I have to meter my expectations, right? You can't walk into a quiet church looking for an ah and all you get is an eye, right? But here's what I love about that is that I realize that aha moments when what I'm saying is empowered by the Holy Spirit and he speaks directly to your heart, I know that those are the moments that change the trajectory of your life. See, I'm not convinced that I'm a very good preacher, but I do know that my God is able to do in and through me what I cannot do all by myself. And so if I just stay yielded, if I just stay studied, if I just stay prayed up, God will do through me for you what you need today. That's why when you come to church and you got invited and I preach and it's exactly what you're going through, you get real suspicious about the person who invited you. <laughs> For real, you just tell them everything I'm going through before I come? No. Jesus knew exactly what you needed to hear. And those are the beautiful moments in church when you have a, a revelation. But our challenge today is not just to have a revelation, but to let that revelation revolutionize the way that you walk with him. I'm thinking back about a couple aha moments in, in my life. As a, as a dad, I was talking to the boys last night, and I, we were ju just as asking them questions about, like, when did they have an aha moment? And um, it's funny because you can't usually remember the very moment that you had a revelation, but you can look back and see as your life was changed. I'm remembering the time when they were little and I taught them to, to, to ride their bikes. If you're a parent, you know the exquisite joy of teaching children to ride their bikes. It's unlike anything. Something so simple, I've never been more proud. Even when they go to college, I'm not sure I'm going to be standing as tall as the day they rode their bike. What was great is at the time they were learning to ride their bikes, we lived near a golf course. I'll say it. I was in recovery. We lived in my parents' basement. They lived near it, a golf course. And in the winter, they don't do a lot of golfing. 
but they still cut the grass short. And that's perfect. This is not legal. Never mind. We learned <laughs> to ride our bicycles on grass. That's a better way to tell the story. And if you've ever done this, you ever taught a child to ride the bike, what you do is you, you, you get them set, right? And you hold the back of their seat and you just, you hold them, right? And they wobble and then over time they start to get it. And then what you do is once you know they've got it, you let go, right? And what I would do is I would run up ahead of them. And so they'd be riding their bike and then I'd pass them. Guys, I just couldn't wait to see that aha moment. Right? They're like, Dad, I'm riding my bike. Who's holding my bicycle? <laughs> and as is funny with most aha moments is it's right then that kids always crash. Because as soon as they know, they're on their bam, done, right? But they've had a moment to know what it feels like to ride a bike. And so we get back up. And Kalel used to say, don't let go this time. <laughs> and you go, I promise, I won't let go. And I think that's kind of the same way we work with the Lord, which is he's with you, holding that bike, running, and when he knows you got it, he lets go. Our challenge as believers is to realize that he's not holding on and he trusts us to walk this road of ordered steps because he's been with us and we've been tested. Amen? And that is also where most of us, who's holding my bike, Jesus? But the principle of the aha moment still exists, which is he's given you a revelation of what's possible in him. And now you need to move on it. Amen? Now here's the conversation that Paul is having here in this moment. He too has just had a very difficult conversation with the church that he loves. He planted the church in Galatea. He taught them the doctrine. He raised up the leaders. And he had heard by word of mouth that a group of I'm gone. There we are. A group of teachers called Judaizers had moved in and began to pervert the gospel by inserting Mosaic law. So they were saying, yes, Jesus and circumcision. And so Paul wrote to them very clearly, very sternly to correct this heresy. And then he corrects their hurt feelings with this understanding of why he has the authority to tell the story. First point I want to make to you today from Paul himself to every person ready for an aha moment today is, I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. I don't care how saved, sanctified, holy and righteous you are. From the person who just walked in, who knows that they know that they're covered in sin and wonders if they're even worthy of love, to the one who has served the Lord all the days of their life, every one of you and I, we need a new revelation in Jesus Christ. You need more of him today than yesterday. I hate to break it to you, but yesterday's faith ain't going to cut it for today's fight. Amen? What the devil has throwing at you coming your way, the attack and assignment that's on your life, needs Jesus afresh and anew this morning. Amen? That's why you need to be in the Word every day. That's why you need to pray every day. That's why you need to be worshiping. That's why you need good Christian friends so that when you can say, the devil is trying to test me, they say, let's get to the Lord. You can't just say, well, I was at church on Sunday, and so I should be good till next Sunday. No, you need Jesus today. Amen. And Paul says, you need a new revelation. You know how I know? Because I, Paul, I needed a revelation. 
He starts a conversation and says, this doctrine that I taught you, that I planted in you, that I wrote, that I built, upon which the foundation of your church is entirely constructed and which is currently under attack, I didn't get that doctrine from some man. It wasn't taught to me. It wasn't handed to me. It came down by revelation from Jesus himself. Now, this is Paul, and we're going to talk about who he was and why that matters in a moment. But I think it's important for us to consider that Paul is uncovering, better yet, revealing God's principle, practice, and habit of revelation for his people. Now, you should know, you should know this because this is important for us to understand. The way that we come to know Christ is through revelation. End of sentence. You ever heard somebody say, have you found Jesus? Guess what? The answer is no. You didn't find Jesus. He found you. Come on, Chip, help me preach it. Jesus found you and then revealed the wound in his side and the scars in his hand and the love in his heart that you might hear me have no other choice but to melt into his arms. You don't find Jesus, he finds you. Amen? And that's important to know because if we think that we aren't revealed, that God isn't revealed to us, but we think that the journey of salvation begins with our work, everything else is tainted by the concept of a works-based faith. If you say, I found Jesus and I'm going after Jesus, you are effectively making Jesus an object that's near you as you lead the way. But I need you to understand, it's Jesus who leads the way. That's why he said, I am the and the life. You got it? God is a revealer. We are a finder. Which is good for people like me who can never find anything. If it were up to me or you, a lot of us would be in trouble. Now, here's the deal. This revelation process, it's a principle, and it happens over and over again. God's always been doing this. You need to understand that revelation is God's act, his action of making himself known to us. We find this in Isaiah 65. God reveals himself to the prophet. We find in Job 12 and Daniel 2, God reveals the mysteries of the world. In Matthew 13, along with the parallels in Mark, in Luke, in Ephesians 1, and Ephesians and Colossians 1, we find that the Bible says God chooses those to whom he will reveal. This part is also important. Here's the deal. God will reveal himself. It's his movement to demonstrate, to show us who he is. And he doesn't do it the same for everybody. Oh, it's going to get real hard for just a second. Remember, we are a church that believes that God is sovereign. Amen. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, omniscient. And he doesn't need your help. He also doesn't need to ask for permission and get a consensus on when it's time for him to reveal himself. Amen? That's why some of you will have an aha moment and the person next to you will be like, what happened? I don't even know. Because it ain't your time yet. God is a revealer of himself to whom he wants to reveal when he wants to reveal. And he will do this ongoing through the course of history. He's not done yet. That's the best part. Romans 8 tells me that soon more glory will be revealed in this earth. And I am just about pleased as peach for that. 
I can't wait when he comes down and reveals more of his glory. 1 Peter 1 says, and then also Christ will be revealed in all of his splendor. Now, I don't know about you, but I am going to be elbowing my way to the front of that concert. And I love you in the Holy Spirit. But if you're slow, you will get knocked down. Because I'm trying to see Jesus. God is a revealer. Amen. He chooses to whom he will reveal. He reveals himself over time on his timing. Remember, his timing is always perfect. And he will reveal more of himself to you as time goes on. And, ready, as you are ready. Some of us are like, I want all of you. And he's like, you couldn't. No. No. Hold on. Just a little bit for right now. And we as believers must trust that that is in our best interest. So the God to whom I have received right now is exactly what I need from him right now. And when the time is right, I'm going to get a little bit more of him and a little bit more of him and a little bit more of him. And that's why I tell you, I don't care how saved you are. I don't care how sanctified you are. You're never done finding out who he is. There's mercies forevermore, pleasures forevermore. They're never going to be full and be like, I got everything. No, there's always goodness. That's why when people talk about heaven, did you know it will be us worshiping God in all all of our spirit and our truth and all that we have forever and ever. Amen. That's what heaven's going to be like. Seriously, if you come to church and you don't want to raise your hand, it's going to be weird in heaven for you. (laughs) He's going to be there. He's going to be there. And I'm going to be in front like just, yeah, yeah. And you're going to be like, all right, let's do it. (laughs) Because once you get to see him and more of him, all you really want is more of him. Now, hear me, just knowing Jesus, just seeking revelation, just going after him, it's good. But we can't be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. You've heard me say this before, right? I don't just want you to be in the rafters all the days of your life. You have to live a life, amen? And the reason for revelation is not that you can learn to pray your way up into the ninth heaven. No, it's so that you can get a revelation that will give you a new perspective about the life in which you live. That's why there's revelation. When Paul is writing to this church in this moment, he is telling them, I met Jesus. He, just, he showed himself to me afresh and anew, and that matters for you, and here's how. And that should be the missional way through which each one of us looks at our own life. I want to tell you right now that most Christians don't think missionally. We just don't. We think that there are missionaries, yes, and they do that. We think that there are pastors, yes, and they do that. But me, well, I'm just a Christian. I'm just, you've heard this, a sinner saved by grace. What could I do? I'm just barely trying to make it. And I want to challenge that all the way. In fact, if you belong to Beacon, I never want you to say that about yourself again. You were once a sinner, yes. And you are saved by grace, yes. But because of that grace, he calls you holy and righteous. 
So when you say, I'm a sinner, you say, well, I know you say I'm good, holy, and righteous, and saved, redeemed, restored, and always have a place in heaven, but I don't believe you all the way just yet. Can I push you? He says that for freedom you have been set free. He says, when I look at you, I see the blood of Jesus. He says you are co-heirs. He says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so when you talk about you, you should only be saying the things that he says about you. So no more, I'm a sinner saved by grace, okay? How about this? I'm a saint. You didn't like that one, huh? No, because it feels weird. You're like, no, no, pastor, <laughs> I'm a sinner. Paul knows what it's like to be a sinner of the first degree and to be saved. In fact, when he writes to his spiritual son, Timothy, he says, just so you know, I am the worst of the worst of the worst. The worst. But I receive mercy. And because I receive mercy, I am used by God to do great things. And you got to shift the way that you think about yourself. Amen? And the first thing that comes in a revelation that gives you a better perspective is you need to know what he says about you so you really know who you are. Amen? And once you know who you are, you know what you can do, what you're capable of, and maybe missionally who you're called to. Now, I want to put a little phrase in your head because I think it matters. It's very important. I think when I was studying, I just felt like this made a difference. The purpose of revelation, the reason that we want more of God is because a revelation of God in your life should give you a new perspective in God about your life. Now, I need to say it again because I want you to see it. The reason we want a new perspective of God in life, the reason we want to see him better, clearer, more now, is so that when we're living in this life, we see him before we see anything else. Here's the thing. I want you to think about putting on rose-colored glasses. For those of my more mature saints, they can remember a time in the 60s and 70s when glasses had colors like rose and olive and banana. We don't do a lot of that now. But I have no idea why they wore these glasses. There's no benefit, no UV coverage. But they changed perspective. And I want you to think like this. Seeing Jesus better means that when you see the rest of this world in which you live, the first thing that you see is Jesus, which means you'll see the things in your life like Jesus sees them. Let me tell you a fun story. This morning, we come at 7 a.m. to set up. By the way, if you're not serving yet, 7 a.m. And at 6.40, Jose who's in charge of our truck this week, texted me, and he said, so, we store our truck at our parent church Brave, and he said, we're blocked in. Someone had parked a giant tractor in front of the trailer. And I said, all right, let's see what I can do. And then Rose, Deacon Rose, who leads our welcome ministry, she went to pick up the donuts. We got donuts this week from Krispy Kreme, because no more voodoo in Jesus' name. They said, you better practice what you preach. And I said, okay. <laughs> so we got the donuts from Krispy Kreme. But when Deacon Rose showed up, they didn't have the order. And then we got here. 
And then the heat didn't work. Isn't, isn't working now. And if you need to jump up and get a praise break on to warm up, that's fine. Now, old CB, before Jesus, I'd have just thrown the towel in. I'd have been like, no trailer, no heat, and no donuts. This church is terrible. But when you know who Jesus is, when you know that he's all powerful, when he's all good, that there's nothing that can stop his mission and his work, no matter where it is, when you know that, you know that any obstacle that comes your way is a futile attempt by the enemy to fight a war that he's already lost. So when Jose said the trailer ain't working, I said, we must be about to have some church today. And when there was no donuts, I said, Jesus might be about to show up today. And when I came in, it was cold. I said, well, Holy Ghost fire, come on down and fill this place. You need to see Jesus because you need to see your life differently. Stop seeing everything as a defeat. You already won. I don't know if you know that yet. That means no matter what comes your way, <laughs> we've got the victory, 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 victory in Jesus. Now, don't sing that if you get pulled over. That's going to go <laughs> sideways. But the point is that you see things differently because you see so much of him. Paul does this. He says this thing in verse 13. He says, uh, you guys have heard about my former life, right? I love this about Paul. He never strays away from his past. He says, you heard how in my old life, in Judaism, I persecuted the church violently. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism far beyond anybody else. I was super zealous. You know how awesome that is to read? Because most of us don't do that with our own stories, do we? I think one of the big curses for many Christians is once we've been forgiven and the enemy can't fight us through the spirit of guilt, what he does is supplants it with the spirit of shame. Once you know you're no longer guilty and to be held responsible for the penalty of your sin, once you know Jesus paid it all, guilt lifts. And what happens is the enemy then throws shame in and says, you may not have to pay the penalty, but you are still bad. Because remember, guilt says I did a bad thing. And shame says I am a bad thing. And the enemy uses this on believers all the time. I meet so many people and I'm like, tell me your story. And they start their story at Jesus. Well, I was saved at 23. And then everything gets rosy. And I'm like, that's really all of your story? And they're like, yeah, tell me yours. And I'm like, sweet, okay. <laughs> Sit down, it's gonna get wild. And I tell my story which is like I was a musician for a long time. I thought that cocaine, cigarettes, and Jack Daniels was the appropriate diet. And then one day, I didn't have much cocaine. So someone taught me how to make crack. And I used crack for six months until one day, my dealer didn't have crack. And he said, but we have crystal. And I used crystal that day and every day for the next five years straight. 
And it was so bad, I lost the place I lived in, the car I drived, the woman I loved, the job I started, the band I led, every friend nearby, and nearly anybody who had any semblance of self-respect had stepped away. And at the very end, I lost custody of my sons, and I made a pact with the devil to say, you win, I'll die tomorrow. That's my story. And then we're at coffee, and they're like, oh, okay, I'll back up. Uh, at 16... Here's why. Because once you know who God is, once you know how much he loves you in the trap house, once you know how much he cares for you when you're turning tricks, once you know just how good he is in spite of how bad the enemy says, when he saves you, you can tell the scariest story you ever heard because it ain't scary to you no more because you know how it ends. The point of knowing Jesus is knowing how to tell your story better. Paul says, y'all remember how mean I was. Bad. But I ain't bad no more. Oh, my God. And he says, and when the Lord showed up to me, the Bible says he was pleased to reveal his son to me. It means that when you have a new revelation of Jesus in your life, God's initiated that revelation and he's done so because it makes him happy to do it. Yeah. And he says, when it was pleasing to God to reveal Jesus to me, I didn't immediately run for validation from other people. Can we let that sink in for just a second? I'm going to tell you right now, there's a few battles that the Lord wants to fight for you. And you don't need anyone here or anyone else to keep the score. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so when someone says, oh, you think you're better now? You can say, yes. You think you're better than us? Well, hold on. All right. Help me, Jesus. Here's the deal. Paul says, when God decided it was good for me to see Jesus, I saw Jesus. Now, here's what he doesn't tell you. He saw Jesus after Jesus made him blind. Now, this is encouraging for us, and we have to unpack it. We may not get to the third point, but you need to see this, okay? Revelation for Paul happened in a desperate, dark, and painful place. The Bible says that Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus and blinded him so that he could see Jesus. Oh, my goodness. The Bible says that God brought Paul to a place of pain so that he could show Paul he's the only one that can heal that pain. He says, I brought you down low so you could see how high and lifted up that I can be. This matters to you and I today because there's a few things you're going through and you think it's rock bottom. You can't consider that it would get any worse. There's no way God's going to get glory out of this. And I might tell you today, perhaps he's brought you to such a time as this so that he can show you he's God over that too. You said, but I'm broke. Guess what? He's a provider. But you may not know that until you have no other option to say, I trust you. 
You said, but... I'm, I suffer with depression. I have this crippling anxiety. The doctor says, we don't know what to do. We've tried everything. Some days I'm up, some days I'm down. I don't know if he can fix it. And I want to tell you that perhaps you've been leading that battle too. And it might be that the Lord wants to bring you to a place where you finally say, I give up so he can show you that he's not just a savior or a healer, but he's also a mind regulator. He's also a deliverer. He's also the one who gives you power and love and a sound mind. I want to tell you today that perhaps the fight you fight is ordained so that he can get the victory. And the reason he hasn't got it is because you won't give up the fight just yet. You're like, I got this. No, I need you to bless my finances. But in my relationships, I'm in charge. Amen? Now I'm hitting the right room. People are like, I'm definitely not in charge anymore. I know that much. Paul doesn't tell us that part, but Paul tells us how good God was and how the revelation pleased God. Here's why. Because when God changes your circumstance and reveals more of himself in his goodness and fullness, in the darkness and in the pain, you don't even remember the pain anymore. Paul doesn't keep telling the story about his blindness in this moment to a church that needs to get a revelation. He says, turns out God showed up and I was healed. Now, no doubt people are like, how did it happen? And he's like, well, he blinded me, but I can see now, baby. Because that's the beauty of a new perspective, which is I'm not afraid of my past. I'm not ashamed of my past. I don't mind telling everybody. And the story's not for everybody. Some parts of my story don't get told in mixed company. Amen. But I'm not afraid to tell them. Because I know how the story ends. Amen. So you need a new revolution. Amen. You need a new understanding, a new revelation of who God is so that you can see him in his fullness. So that you can have a new perspective of your life. But let me push you. That part is called a renewed mind. When your heart and your mind are changed about your circumstance. And that is good. But a renewed mind and a regenerated heart mean that there's something to be done. If you read Romans 12, it tells us that we are transformed in our mind, are renewed in our mind and transformed in our life. And so when Paul begins to talk about the way in which the revelation changed his perspective, he also explains how he's living out a new testimony. Hear me, he's not just telling a different story, he is the different story. I think a lot of us are stuck right there. I am getting to know him. And I am seeing things different. But I'm not changing. I mean, I have people in this church whom I love with my whole heart who are not married and still living together. And they know exactly what they're supposed to be doing and it's not changing. I have people who are in this church and I love them with my whole heart who are actively engaged in addiction. 
They know exactly what needs to be done and they're not changing. I have people in our church whom we love and adore and they are actively engaged in verbal, physical abuse of people that they love. They know exactly what needs to change and they're not changing. It does not work unless you have fruit that comes out of your life. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, says faith without works is What is James saying to you? I don't care how much you say you believe unless you walk the talk. The talk is a lie. And so Paul tells us, you need a new revelation so you can get a new perspective, so you can live out a new testimony. And I'm going to push just this last part with about three minutes left. You guys can come up. Paul tells the story of his life. He says, I met Jesus. He showed me who he really was. I see everything differently now. And I'm taking some action on it. And here's the action I want to encourage you. Because I don't want you to hear me say faith without works is dead and you think it's all predicated on accomplishment. Amen. It is not what you achieve for God that matters. It's what God achieves through you, period. And hear me, you can't achieve anything apart from God. But with God, all things are possible. I'm just preaching to you today. Is that all right? You got to hear this. You got to move on this because you can't leave here and be like, still the same. Great message. Awesome worship. So funny. I do miss the voodoo donuts, but no. But if you leave and you're stuck and you're the same, I'm wasting your time. You should go to anybody, anywhere else. Paul says this. He says, I did not immediately after that meeting with Jesus go to seek the counsel of my old peers. He says, in fact, I went to a place of isolation because I recognized that what God had started in a conversation needed to be finished on God's time in a conversation. He says, I went to Arabia and then eventually I went back to Damascus. Along the way, I met two people. Just Peter and just James. And at this point, when Paul is writing, Peter is already leading many of the evangelistic efforts in the name of Jesus Christ. This is past the Peter who doubted, past the Peter who denied, past the Peter who saw Jesus at the lake and he said, if you love me, feed my sheep. This is Peter finally walking in great power. And he went to see James the half-brother of Jesus, James who hated Jesus, denied Jesus, resented Jesus. But after years in prayer that the, the historians tell us had actually flattened his knees, he came to realize that his crazy brother was the son of God. And it's just these two men that Paul goes to meet. And he says, I didn't go there to be approved, just so you know. I came there to come into fellowship. I came there to be processed. I came there to be embraced and further refined. And this part matters. He says, then when I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, I was totally unknown. This is Paul, who is the Pharisee of Pharisees, and 
everybody knows who he is. If he goes to any Jewish community in the ancient Near Eastern world, the word of his presence would have spread months before his arrival. And when he walked in, they would have received him in the synagogues with great praise and adoration and in the churches with fear and trembling. And he says, turns out, oh my God, when he changed me, no one recognized me. I was unknown. I, I would walk into these places and I knew they knew who I was and they, they didn't know who I was. He says the only thing that happened was that word had spread. The rumor was that, you remember that really bad guy who used to persecute the church? Yeah. He's preaching the gospel now. Paul says the story in the same sentence as though he overheard it in a church, as though he came to one of those churches and sat down and he was like, for real, no one knows me? I look that different in Jesus' name? And as though he heard two people in the back row say, now I ain't seen him. You seen him? I ain't seen him. Remember how mean he was? Ooh, it was mean as a hornet. Turns out. Everybody's getting saved when he preaches. And the Bible says the last, last line, verse 24. And I can imagine in my sanctified imagination that when Paul pens this last part of the first chapter to this church he loves, it is as though he tells his whole testimony in one line. He says, and they glorified God because of me. When they saw me and what God had done in me, I didn't have to say a word or introduce myself. It was just the transformation that they saw that caused them to stand on their feet and worship the God that I worship, the one that I serve, the one that I love. Turns out I didn't have to preach a single word. What he had done was doing something in them. And so here it is. In this room today, I want to ask you, is that who you are right now? When people see you, do they say, my God, my God, my God, my God. When the people from your past meet you, do they say, I barely recognize you. When people who are far from God come into an encounter with you, do they have a yearning to be close to your God? Hear me, that's the mission. Not that you would be a great preacher or orator or singer or anything with a title or a position, but that who he's made you to be would inspire them to be like him. Today I want to ask you to bow your head all over the room this morning. We're going to pray a simple prayer. Nothing fancy, not going to make you come down. But if that's not you, if that is not who you are today, if when people see you, they don't run to Jesus, don't fall in worship, don't glorify the name of Christ. If that's not you, then we have to go back to the beginning. 
because you're not living out the testimony he's called you to, because you don't have a perspective about who you are, because you have yet to receive a brand new revelation. Some of you today might still hold him as savior, and for a season he was that, but he's far more. Some of you right now might have him as healer, and he's that, but he's far more. Some of you might have him as deliverer or provider or peace, but I wanna tell you today, there's far more than that. And our prayer today is if people don't see him in you, that you might see him anew today. If that's you and you need a new revolution, Revelation, would you just extend your hand all over the room today? Would you just raise your hand and show me, show him that you're ready to see him afresh and anew today? Would you pray this prayer with me today? All over the room, every one of us, because we all need it. Heavenly Father, I want to see you brand new. Jesus, I want to meet you like it's my first time. Holy Spirit, I want to see the whole world through your eyes, take the scales off mine and let me see you. When I do, change the way I see everything else and change me too. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do me a favor, church. Let's stand up all over the room. Let's worship one more time. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah, yeah.